Thank you very much, everybody. Let's hope I'm not rubbish. <laughs> um, hello, St. Saviours. It's very exciting to be here at the 7 o'clock service. Um, it's been great moving to Guildford. Um, James, my husband and I have come from London, and uh, we've moved jobs, we've moved house, and we've moved church. But it's been a complete privilege and pleasure to come here because you guys have been so warm and welcoming and uh, we are already love this church. So thank you very much for that. Um, so today I want to start my talk by thinking about what readiness looks like. What does it look like to be ready as a Christian? Um, the reason that I'm talking about that is about a year or so ago, Barry Kissel, um, for those of you who don't know Barry Kissel, he was one of the founders of New Wine, and he's one of the most prophetically gifted people that I know. And he had um, a word which got me thinking. Um, just in case we've got any visitors or guests, I just want to explain what I mean by a prophetic word. As Christians, we believe that God speaks to us today through the Bible and through other people, but also through pictures and dreams. Very occasionally, God speaks through an audible voice or um, through a vision, but more often, the words are like impressions in our heart that have a particular resonance. And that was the case with Barry's word. I think we've got a uh, overhead to come up now. Anyway, Barry said he had a picture of a man at the seaside. The man was decked out to go surfing and he was very excited because he had heard that there was a big wave coming. He was standing on the beach and he was straining for a glimpse of that wave as it arrived. However, he wasn't in any way ready. In fact, he wasn't even in the water, he was standing on the beach. And this puzzled Barry, because Barry is a surfer. And as any surfer knows, if you want to catch a wave, you have to be ready and you have to be in the water. And it disturbed him so much that he asked God, what was this about? And he felt in his spirit that God said that the anticipated wave was a move of the spirit which was going to come to the UK. And the man represented the church who having prayed passionately for this wave, waited with longing to see it. However, he said the church are in danger of missing this opportunity because they're not making adequate preparation. After hearing that word, I began to imagine what it would look like to see a wave of the spirit. And like the man on the beach, I began to feel a growing sense of anticipation and excitement. I can say for sure, if there is going to be a move of the Spirit, I definitely do not want to miss out. And so that's what led me to ponder, what does it look like to be ready? Now I believe that Jesus gives us a great example of this in Mark 5, which my husband James has very kindly agreed to read for us. Thank you, James. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, 
he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Thank you, James. At the beginning of this passage, we see Jairus pleading with Jesus to come to his house and lay hands on his daughter because she's dying. From the moment that Jesus accepts this request, we know that he is a man on a mission and he has an agenda in mind. And furthermore, he's working to a limited time frame. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd got, been asked to go and pray for somebody as a sort of last resort before they died, I'd be pretty intentional. I'd be focused on getting there, and there'd be very little that would distract me on my way. When the woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, he could easily have missed this God opportunity in his rush to fulfill his mission and rescue the dying girl. After all, the event didn't stand out as a significant moment unless you were really attentively looking out for what God was doing. You see, as the disciples rightly point out, the bleeding woman was just one of many people jostling him. He was in the middle of a crowd. He could only have recognized this moment as significant if he was constantly and attentively listening out to what God was doing. In fact, we know that being attentive to God and what he was doing was core to Jesus' ministry, because in John 5:19 he says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. When the bleeding woman touched his cloak, Jesus recognized the God moment, dropped his agenda, and was fully engaged in what God was doing. As a result, not only was the woman healed, 
but she must have been an outcast as the result of her bleeding. She was brought back into community. And everybody else who was standing around in the crowd, their faith was lifted and God was glorified. Jesus demonstrated perfectly what readiness looks like. In distinct contrast, I now want to give a little example from my life about what not being ready looks like. Not so long ago, I was studying theology at St. Melitus, and at this particular time, it was a Friday, and I had an essay to hand in the following Monday. However, I hadn't started writing it. The more I thought about it, the less idea I had where to start. And by this stage, I was rapidly running out of time. It was crunch time. By hook or by crook, I had to write it that weekend. Unfortunately, I had writer's block. And the more I stared at the white piece of paper, the bigger my sense of panic grew. It got so bad that I thought, this is getting nowhere. I switched off my uh, computer and exited the front door for what I call a walk and talk with God to try and get a bit more perspective. I wasn't really thinking about where I was going. My focus was on my conversation with God. I was asking him, Lord, please, will you fill me with, my, with your spirit? Will you calm my nerves? And would you inspire me so I know what on earth I can put on that piece of paper? And while you're at it, could you do it really, really quickly because I'm really running out of time? Like Jesus, when he encountered, encountered the bleeding woman, I was on a mission. And furthermore, I was working to a limited time frame. That's about where the similarities end. <laughs> After a few minutes of walking, in my periphery vi vision, I vaguely noticed I was approaching a group of three young men, one of whom had a clipboard. And I could tell from what they were wearing that they were Muslims. I was living in Shepherd's Bush at the time, and in Shepherd's Bush, there's actually quite a large Muslim community. And I've often bemoaned the fact that it's impossible to reach them because they pretty much keep themselves to themselves. But I wasn't thinking about this at this time because I was in full-scale, total impact, essay meltdown. And that was the least thing in my mind. When I reached the point where the men were standing, the one with the clipboard came up to me and he asked me if I was a student. I definitely did not have time to fill out his form. And actually, I didn't have time to explain to him that I didn't have time to fill out his form. So I thought probably the best plan was as politely as possible to lie. And I said, uh, no, and I scuttled past. Unlike Jesus, when he encountered the bleeding woman, I'd been so fixated on my personal agenda that I'd failed to notice what God was doing. I was some distance away before it dawned on me that it was a bit odd that he should have asked me, a middle-aged woman, if I was a student. And the more I thought about it, the odder it seemed. They were out of sight by the time the enormity of the opportunity I had missed struck me. What would have happened if I'd have said, yes, I am a student? Is it so unlikely they'd have asked me what I was studying? I could have said theology. 
I could have said Jesus. Can you think of a better opportunity to witness? But I didn't. Anyway, I reprimanded myself, I gathered my thoughts, and I hurried back as quickly as I could to find them. But search as I might, I couldn't. They were nowhere to be seen. Epic fail. It was a serious lesson for me. It's so easy to miss out on the opportunity that God gives us unless we're really attentive to his spirit. You know, I could have witnessed to those men, and who knows what would have come out of that. Now I will never know. It highlighted for me something which I should have known before. If I want to be used by God, I need to be watching out for what he's doing, and I need to be ready to drop my plan and join his. And I believe this in, as individuals, if we're going to be ready, we need to develop a heightened awareness of, what, of God's presence and recognize every opportunity he offers us. We need to expect the unexpected, to be willing to drop our plans in order to wholeheartedly embrace what he's doing. Rightly or wrongly, I believe we are about to enter a season of harvest. And I believe that as St. Saviour's, we're going to find people flooding through those doors in a way that hasn't been seen for some time. There is a disillusionment in our culture with its long-held belief in, in self-reliance, independence, and the individualistic pursuit of self-fulfillment and wealth. Over the last 20 years, there's been a breakdown in community, as I'm sure you have noticed. Churches in the UK have been closing their doors. Community centres have been replaced with shopping malls. Local shops and post offices have been replaced by supermarkets. And there's been a breakdown in the family unit. The young have learnt to communicate largely through the internet, and the elderly have been marginalised. More of us live alone or in small apartments, work at home and shop and socialise online. Or we commute long distances back and forth to work long hours, barely finding time to spend with our family and friends. The emphasis on personal autonomy and freedom of choice have meant that the commitment to a single community and submitting to whatever is best for that community has appeared restrictive rather than life-giving. Given this scenario, it isn't surprising that this country is full of isolated, lonely, and depressed people. However, the good news is that the tide is turning. Even secular psychologists recognize that the culture of isolation is not healthy. Psychologist John Cacioppo writes, as a species, we are unsuited to the physical and social environment we now inhabit. Had a zookeeper been asked to construct an enclosure suitable for mankind, his instructions would have warned him of the obligatory social gregariousness of our species. Today, there's a growing hunger amongst Christians and non-Christians alike for authentic community. People who 10 years ago would never have considered going to church are venturing through our doors, looking for somewhere where they're accepted, valued, and loved. Somewhere where they can belong. 
Do you know that most people in this country under the age of 20 have never actually stepped in a church ever in their lives? They have no idea what goes on inside these walls. And as people step through these doors for the first time, we are probably the first Bible they will ever read. Do you know, walking into the church for a first time can be very intimidating, even for people who come from a church background if you don't know anybody in the building. So imagine what it's like for somebody who's never been in a church at all. It's not unusual to be full of fear. First thing you want to know is, am I wearing the right thing? Do I fit in? Then you'll want to know, am I going to stand up and sit down at the right times? Or will I stand out like a sore thumb? More importantly, am I holy enough for this church? If they really knew what I was like, would I still be welcome? And then probably the most pressing thing is, everybody in here seems to know each other. Will I be allowed to join this club? Is there room for just one more? I've been to many churches in my life, and sadly, rightly or wrongly, I believe that many, the answer to many of those questions has been no. As a child, I went to my village church for 10 years. The congregation was small. At its biggest, it was probably about 30 people. As I walked through the door, I'd be greeted with a pile of books and service sheets. Usually, the person handing them out, studiously avoided eye contact, but on a really good day, I'd get a good morning. I was on, sat on those pews week in and week out, but people rarely spoke to me. I never got the impression I was a valued member of their community. In fact, I very much doubt, after all those years, that anybody actually knew my name. I felt like an outsider, tolerated, but not welcomed. Not surprisingly, I decided I'd skip church. But many years later, after I had long given up going, one of my friends invited me to their church. On my first visit, she introduced me to the pastor. He seemed a nice enough man. On my second visit, he was there at the door to greet me. And I almost fell over, because not only did he recognize me, he knew my name. The minute that happened, I thought, oh my goodness, you value me. It's almost as if you actually want me in this church. However, the best welcome I've received was from a Hillsong church based in the West End in London. At the time, I was very involved in another church, but I had heard of all they were doing, and I wanted to go along and check them out and see what I could learn. It was growing really rapidly. And it was a large congregation, so I really didn't think that I would get to speak to anybody. Unfortunately, with my massively brilliant planning, I got the service time wrong, and I arrived a little bit early. So I went into the foyer of the theatre and sort of lingered. While I was standing there, five completely different people came up and engaged me in conversation to try and make me feel welcome. I thought, this is a bit awkward, so I thought, I'll go into the auditorium and I'll sit down at the back, just so they don't have to bother about me. But the service time was approaching, and they started to come in, and one of the people who I'd spoken to earlier saw me sitting at the back and came to collect me. She said, you don't want to be sitting back here, you'll miss out on all the atmosphere. Please come and sit with me and my friends, we'd love for you to sit with us. And now, while we were waiting, she engaged me in conversation. She asked me all about myself. 
Oh, she said, you're really interesting. I'd love you to meet our pastor. And uh, she also went on to say, my friends and I are meeting to go to the cinema later in the week. Do you want to come and join us? I know, unequivocally, if I had gone back the following week, they would have remembered me. I know that she would have been looking out for me and that she would have welcomed me. They made it abundantly clear that not only was there room for me in their church, but I was wanted and valued. I learned a lot from that. Preparing for this talk, I discovered that the New Te- in the New Testament, the Greek word translated hospitality literally means love of strangers. Hospitality is a gift of the Spirit that comes from deep within our soul. And this, spe- this gift speaks volume, uh, volumes about the character of the God we worship. It is contagious and it warms the hearts of those it touches. As we were told in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Going back to Barry's word that I spoke about at the beginning of this talk, if there is going to be a move of the Spirit and a season of harvest, which I fervently hope there is, I believe that being ready has to involve not only an attentiveness to God and what he's doing, but also this gift of hospitality. I'm told that as things stand, only 1% of all the people in Surrey go to church. Wouldn't it be exciting if the other 99% started to walk through those doors? St. Saviour's is a really friendly church. As I said earlier, James and I have been absolutely blown away by the welcome that we've received. But it is also a really large church, so it's easy for people to go unnoticed in the crowd. Sadly, I've spoken to more than one person who's been here for over a year without anybody talking to them. I don't say that to beat ourselves up, it's just that's how it is in a big church. And that's why we believe building community is a priority. So when we've reorganized the services, we've made sure that we've allowed time for community building before and end of the, uh, at the beginning and the end of the service. So if you came in today, you should have noticed that the cafe was open for half an hour before the service. And then after this service, there's going to be after hours cafe upstairs. And I would really encourage you to invest in that time of getting to know other people in the church and investing in each other because that's how we're going to strengthen and grow as a congregation and that's how we're going to make sure that nobody gets missed out. I've not been looking at my notes. I have no clue where I am. Uh, Okay. Um, Yeah, so I would ask that each one of you would try as much as you can to make the time for either coming early or staying late, or even better, both. Just keep a little eye out for if there's anybody on their own, anybody looking isolated. It's amazing just what a warm hello, what a difference it can make. And just to finish up, after many years of faithful prayer, I pray for St. Saviour's that this will be a season of harvest. I pray that this season, the lost and the lonely will flood through these doors and that we will welcome them with open arms. And I pray that each person in this church will know unequivocally that they are seen, 
valued and wanted. Thank you. Should we have a worship song first? Have we got time? Are we live? Is that okay, worship team? Just last minute opposition. Is that okay? Thank you.